welcome back to another episode of InCheck with Fintech. Today we have the pleasure to be joined by Ralph Dangelmeyer, CEO at Bluestep. With over 30 years of experience in the payments industry, he is at the forefront of e-commerce innovation using his knowledge to grow public and private companies via innovative payment solutions. Under Dangelmeyer's leadership, Bluesnap has grown 40 times, been on the Inc. 5000 list for four years in a row, and was a two-time honoree on the Deloitte Fast 500. Prior to Bluesnap, he has served as the CEO of PNH Solutions, which grew 15 times under his leadership with a successful exit to ACI. Ralph also serves on the boards of Bluesnap, ETA, and Stonehill College. Enjoy listening. Uh, Ralph, you've been in payments um, for a long time. What's the one thing that you think determines your career? Well, Roger, I know uh, we had talked earlier, and it's hard to put, say it's one thing. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work at five payment companies, public, small, backed by private equity. And I think what's been interesting is all these have a common theme, which is it's been newer technology, it's been in a high growth space and it's also been quite a bit of uh, changes, adaption and pivots. And I think when you look at those themes of um, growth, technology, adaption, pivoting, those are sort of the things I think that we've been able to do really well with myself and the team that's been around me. Because it's your ability to adapt that has basically made you successful throughout your career. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get uh, too corny here, but to quote uh, George Darwin, right? It's not the biggest, it's not the smartest, it's the people that adapt are the ones that survive, right? And I think that's very, very true at FinTech. Um, we've had lots of big changes over the last 25 years, right? I mean, the invention of credit cards came along 74 years ago, then, you know, there was this big push to for digital transactions and the internet came along and now we've got all this e-commerce. And I think over these changes, um, if you're not adapting to what's going on, um, you're just not gonna survive. Makes sense. I think that's a uh, very good um, statement. Is it something that was instilled in you from a very young age, kind of adaptability, this Darwin quote, or was it something that you learned along the way or where did that come from? We're learning along the way. I mean, I was fortunate enough in my career. I went. I don't really do this anymore. I went into a one-year training program at Bank of Boston, which is now Bank of America. And it started off with you had to do four rotations and take kind of classes in between them. And the idea was to get in there and make quick changes to something that you got signed and move on. So it was like quick projects. And uh, as you probably know, it's hard to do things quick in a bank. And so... It, I learned that, geez, this is the way it works. And I left and went into do a lot of other projects at the bank and technology companies. I realized, wow, you can move a lot quicker with technology than you could doing things manually. And I think it just kind of instilled in me if the people that didn't move or didn't change didn't really uh, grow. And I just really like growing. I thought that was a, a key thing that was fun to do and it was exciting and um, it was something to talk about. Great how such a one year kind of training program can instill something so fundamental in you. Yeah, and I don't think people do that anymore. Uh, if you look around, I think it's just, people don't make those investments. I was probably one of the last few classes that they ever did when they did these training programs for one year. And it's a, it's a big commitment on both sides to do that. Um, and I, if you think now, there, there are some programs that still do that out there, some bigger companies that do that but I don't think people are interested in doing that anymore. I've 
try to encourage people to get as much training as they can because yeah, you can find more data and access more data on the internet, but still there's nothing like hands-on training. And I think that's why some of the schools are more popular that do these um, more five-year programs, work-study programs. I don't know if you have that over in Amsterdam, but here in the United States, a school like Northeastern has become really, really popular because work-study, work-study, work-study. And I think that's effectively sort of what I went through in a more condensed area here at Payments. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, if I think back of my studies at university, then there's not much that I took away from it. It's not much knowledge that's been instilled in me. I guess probably more a way of thinking. But then when I started working, that's when I felt I learned the most. Exactly. Exactly. And if you can kind of if think about going to work and then go back to school, going to work or school, I think that sort of um, that process, which is a lot of what if you think about like doctors go through, is really one of the best ways to learn. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fast forward now then to where you are today. I mean, you're obviously now the, for the last 10 years, you've been the CEO of uh, and board member of BlueSnap. Um, in these past 10 years, you've been running the company. We spoke about you are close to having 20x the business, right? What do you think? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's impressive, first of all. But what was the key to that success, you think? Adaptability? Well, yeah, no, first of all, I mean, there's, it's like everything tries to get pointed on one thing, but it's always a basket of things, right? Mm -hmm. So. Uh, first of all, we got the timing right. You know, two that ten years ago, we decided to build these APIs uh, for merchants and for platforms so that they could distribute, uh, so they could help them distribute payments or collect payments globally. That was one. I mean, obviously, we did that with the funding of our partners, Great Hill, um, and Partheron Capital. I mean, without those guys, you need you, you, you capital, you need the people to execute on the plans and you've got to thank customers for working through this with us. And sometimes early on, we made mistakes and people persevered and it turned out it was a hit, right? That the APIs to run payments, um, became a big way to sell globally. And so, and a lot of partners didn't make it through all this. And there's a couple of standouts like Stripe and Adyen, but probably when we started, there was hundreds. And there just isn't that many anymore that are really global. So I think, you know, the perseverance, the technology, the, the constant attention to details really helped put everything together to, to create the product we have now, which is a global payments product that works in 47 countries. And we can connect to lots of platforms so that they can distribute our technology so they can help their customers accept payments. So it's just been a, it's been a good journey. And covers a lot of hard work and a lot of success and some failures along the way. Sure. Yeah. Is there a failure you normally speak about uh, that you're kind of proud of in a way because it has helped <laughs> you to get to the next stage, if you will? Uh, well, yeah, I think, I think there's, there, there's a few, but one of the things I think we did is, um, uh, you know, there's no shortcut to payments. I remember one decision we made where we were going into Europe and, uh, we had a legal entity in Cyprus and Malta. Well, we were starting to drive our payments volume out of there and it just turned out that wasn't a great place for a company like us to be right we wanted to attract higher end more blue chip more pristine customers and being in malta and cyprus just had a stigma about it that wasn't uh, attractive to clients that we wanted to get so we had set up a lot of work there we had to shut all that down and move our business to the united, to the united kingdom and ireland um, which was a huge change and a lot of extra cost, but turned out to be totally the right thing to do, uh, given what's going on in the, in the world today. So 
And I'm sure we we also, you know, we had a little wallet that we built uh, that, that obviously once Apple Pay and Google Pay came out, that wasn't really a good thing. So we abandoned that. So there are some things that you tried that didn't work out, but I think we made the right decisions by again, pivoting and change and making adaptions and saying, we're just, you know, we're, we're, we're good at this. We're not good at that. And we should be here. We shouldn't be there. So, uh, so yeah, I am proud that we made those decisions to be honest with you. Roger. Yeah. Adaptability seems to be again, the key theme here, right? Cut your losses yeah. at an early, uh, at an early stage. Um, it's good to try things, but at least know when it's time to also say, okay, this doesn't work for us basically. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, we talk before we talk maybe a bit more about, uh, embedded payments and payment orchestration, right? I'm thinking back of 10 years ago, that's when I started as well within the, uh, payment space uh, on the recruitment side. It was not as sexy as it is right now. Right, ten years ago, payments was no one understood it. It was considered to be boring. Um, it was only for really the payment geeks. How things have changed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Has that been the same for you? I mean, you've been in payments obviously for a little bit longer, but yeah, do you look at that kind of developments in that way as well? Um, you know what? I, I guess I would go back. I would turn the clock back a little bit. I think it was pretty boring up until the internet. Mm. Once the internet came along and, and we were one of the first companies at this company called um, P&H back in the late 90s to do online banking for banks. So we built online banking and the banks would resell it. Um, that got pretty exciting. The bubble, the internet bubble came and crashed. There was all kinds of issues going on. I think it then slowed down and then in 07 and 08 picked back up and we saw trends pick up with people like the PayPal's and the Braintree's and the Stripes and the Adians and, and those guys going along. And I think once people really understood what an API was, that really expanded things. And then everything became in play, right? Issuing, acquiring, buy now, pay later, debt, um, all kinds of all kinds of cool ideas. And, and the venture, yeah, well, the private equity firms had what they call fintech funds now, which didn't exist really. Um, there were some, but it wasn't a it wasn't a majority of them, and they started just fueling this growth. So I think the last ten years, to your point, has been more exciting. But I think things really turned with the invent with the internet and the invention of the smartphone. I mean, we mm -hmm. still forget the smartphone's only fifteen years old, right? So um, that really changed things um, for I think fintech. In the pre-show yesterday, we spoke about um, embedded payments and payment orchestration and how it is maybe misunderstood by many, even, even people within the within the payment space, right? So maybe just to set the uh, the stage here, well, how would you define embedded payments and payment orchestration and how are they intertwined? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, I think we've been evolving to payment orchestration. I think why I love this name, because if you think of everyone has been to an orchestra, everyone understands what orchestra is, everyone knows a really good orchestra is when there's, you know, quite a few people playing different instruments and trying to get together. And it's very universal, right? You can get into it. You can play in Germany, you can play in Australia, you can play in Japan and everyone understands it. And I think, I think that's why this name is such a great name. And so I think it means and I think we're getting pretty good consensus when you talk to all the analysts is it's and it's be able to accept payments internationally. So not in one country. I think it's the ability to be able to process the payments and 
and send the money. Some people don't, they think it's just technology. I think it's the ability to do that with value added services, whether it's wallets, whether it's alternative payment types, whether it's fraud, uh, whether it's dispute management. Um, so value added services, which you can turn on and off by country. Cause you might, your value added services are different in Germany than they are in, in Canada. And I think we, you know, it's hard to understand that, but turning them on and off by country, not a black box. And then the last part of it is we have a real problem that's sometimes talked about on technical debt, right? Which means we have too much technical work to do and not enough people to do the work. And so if you want to accomplish payment orchestration, the way say an Amazon does, right? Or the way, you know, an Apple does or Microsoft, you need to hire quite a few people to do that on your own. The other alternative is to partner with folks, all the fintech people to do it, which are seeing much, much more prevalent right now. And so it's a way to reduce your technical debt. So if you can't check the box of one of those four things, right, just go back. It's good. It's international. Um, it's, it's the ability to process the payments. It's the ability to add value add services and you can reduce your technical debt. I don't think you're doing payment orchestration. So uh, I think everyone stops short on the definition based on what they have. So when I see someone that's just in England and they're saying we're payment orchestration, but they only process payments in England. I don't really give them full credit for, I give them partial credit, but you know, they're missing the horns. Or if you say someone just says, well, yeah, here's how we will do payment orchestration. We have to use this fraud engine. We have to use this buy now, pay later engine. Well, that's not really payment orchestration because you've taken the flexibility out of it. So. So that's how I think it's defined. I think it's being pretty widely accepted by a lot of the analysts that we meet with. And I think, um, you know, that's the path that merchants really, really want. You know, multi-country uh, is probably the key here for me. I had always defined payment orchestration as the ability to maybe switch payment providers based on certain requirements that you had, and it didn't necessarily have to be multi-country, or at least that's what I assumed. But you're saying it has to be multi-country, otherwise you're not doing the good or you're not getting the most out of payment orchestration, basically. Yeah, and again, this is all subject to the merchant, right? Because this is yeah. for the merchant, okay? So if the merchant is is selling bikes in Amsterdam and that's it, well, it doesn't apply to them, right? So so you got to kind of think of it. But if they are going to go in, you know, across Europe or they're going to go you know, pan-European or they're going to be in Asia, um, then yeah, you don't go get another provider, right? You're trying to do everything with them because you're going to increase your tech level debt. So, um, so that's sort of, I think the four things have to be considered when you're deciding yeah. how you're going to work with someone. So your second part of your question was, how does this work with embedded payments? Well, what embedded payments is, is sort of another great word, which is different than I think of integrated payments, right? Uh, embedded payments is when someone sells their software platform, there's 300,000 SaaS platforms in the world that run all kinds of businesses around the world, right? They're now selling payments as part of their product. It's, 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 it's part of what you do. When you buy an iPhone, you get Apple wallet and you can opt not to use it, but it's the same concept. You're getting the payments. The payments are embedded in when you're a merchant, you go on Shopify, you get 
payments. When you buy Intuit, you get payments. When you buy something like Toast, you get payments. They're embedding payments into their SaaS offer. It's part of the deal. Now, that's great. However, these merchants are now going to want payment orchestration. <laughs> so this is going to push the platforms to partner with people so they can provide payment orchestration to their merchants because they can't sell payments and be a ring or two below what the competition's doing. So this is how it gets intertwined is because the larger companies and the middlemark companies are going for payment orchestration. It's going to drive down to these more SMBs, which is where the platforms tend to distribute payments and they're going to demand payment orchestration. And if it's not now, it's coming over the next couple of years. Very hard to predict the timing, um, but you can see this coming very, very clearly in my opinion. So that's in how it's Yeah, so in, you say it's coming. So in terms of that payment orchestration coming to embedded payments, that is very much at the start of things, basically. Correct. Correct. So a lot of what people did before is they did what I'm calling integrated payments, where they integrated a payment and they let the setup and they let the experience sort of happen on outside of their software with with a payments provider. And it was usually in one country. Now we move to embedded payments. It's going to happen within the software platform. The customer experience is better. The merchant signs one contract. The merchant has one person for support. You're dealing with one one provider and that platform is going to have to offer payment orchestration or they're going to end up creating technical debt, not having the correct value added services. And they're going to create a mound of issues for their merchants. So just, you can see how that trend is going to just pop into the platform. So they're going to, they're going to, they're going to offer embedded payments and those they're in part, their offering is going to be payment orchestration. Why is that only gaining traction now, uh, embedded payments or payment orchestration and embedded payments? Is it technology that wasn't there? Is it the opportunity that wasn't seen? Um, is it something else? Well, yeah. So it like all this stuff is an evolution, right? So some people who are doing integrated payments today in our definition um, would say they're migrating to in embedded payments. So they're doing forms of it today and there are companies that are doing it really well today. It's just what's happening now is these more, what I'm going to call mid-market platforms are starting to realize that they need to offer payments and they get a chance to start and learn from what the other people do and they can start fresh. And when you start fresh, you're going to start with payment orchestration. So I think that's that's where the market is headed um, based on everything I see out there. Makes sense. Yeah, because the advantage of owning payments, I guess, is that you own the customer experience probably, right? That's the biggest argument for saying and cost efficiencies. Yeah, I think there's three arguments, right? You own the customer experience, 100% right, and you're and you're right about the cost efficiencies, but also you're the 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 SaaS platform or the ARP platform is making a few dollars uh, on this. And if you look at, I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but it's significant revenue has been driven into places like Shopify and Toast um, from selling payments. And at one point, it was 70 or 80 percent of their market cap. Wow. Now it's come down a little bit, but but it's a, it's also a big revenue enhancement. And remember, you know, again, we're in a little bit of a cyclical downturn here on on payments, but payments was valued higher than SaaS platforms. So if you had, if you could call yourself a payments company, your valuation was higher than if you called yourself a SaaS platform. Now it's leveled out a little bit more, 
but still the value of your company is perceived to be higher if you're selling payments. So that makes, I mean, it again, it's an obvious, or it seems like an obvious thing to do, right? If you are a software platform, what is the biggest challenge for a software platform to become or to invent payments? Well, I think a lot of software platforms don't have payments experience, so they don't know who to call. Um, or they might set something up that's easy locally and then they can't expand in a payment orchestration. So they don't know, there's no real show for embedded payments, right? There's no place to go that's easy for them to find. You can start searching it on the web um, and start looking at some of the providers, but you need to figure out what's good for you. So I think the hardest part is because they don't have payment experience, they don't understand the requirements. We know the requirements can't build the product, right? Classic Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, right? They were incredible product people. They designed products um, that they knew people needed that also went to the future. If you don't have that person in a SaaS platform, it becomes very hard. So I think that's changing. We're starting to see a lot more experience in these SaaS platforms that are starting to say, hey, wait a minute, we need to operate like these guys or those guys. And we need to start to write requirements, which then allows us to pick who we're going to partner with or are we going to build it ourselves? Makes sense. How do you deal with that with your customers? Is that, let's say that you go to a software platform that doesn't have that understanding experience. Is that something that you yeah. consult on and help with? Or, or do you say, yeah, oh, I, someone please? Or how do you go about doing that? <laughs> well, we try to latch onto the person that we think has the most knowledge, um, wherever that may be in the tech side or in the product side. It's kind of varies depending on the platform. But I find that we end up doing a lot of consulting, um, a lot of training of, what things mean um to these guys to these platforms yeah and um they do come in with sort of an idea of what they want but they don't really know what they want they look at everything um and so there is a lot there's a lot involved in that for sure because i think one of your most recent um kind of partnerships with big time software right that recently came out yeah. congratulations to that yeah um can you talk to us a bit more about um yeah what that how that came about and what that means for you and for big time well, now this is a company that is growing very well, uh, backed by a great private equity firm, um, you know, obviously good management. And they knew that they had made some decisions on the payments that wasn't optimal for them. It was more integrated where it was localized and it wasn't payment orchestration. So we started engaging with them and looking at the requirements and what they wanted to do and where they were headed. It was clear that they wanted to offer what I'm going to call payment orchestration to their clients. And when they went through the analysis, you know, we were fortunate enough to check all the boxes of the things that they wanted, which is what we went over before, right? Is do we have global, do we have global reach? Do we have the payment processing with backup? Do we have value-added services to reduce their technical debt? Um, and so that those things happen to work out really well. And um, you know, they've done a very, very good job in their rollout of the products. How are you going to partner together? Like, what does partnering with you mean for big time? What are they capable of doing that they couldn't do before? Yeah, so it's really three steps, right? So first thing they do is they code to our technology and they they end up white labeling the payments so they brand it the way they want to brand it. Um, the second thing they do is they roll out a pilot and they start said they sell payments. So we're behind the scenes; they're selling payments to their platform where they sign up for their technology. And the third thing they do is they convert off of their old provider because they don't want to have multiple payment processes out there because that's not efficient. Um, so that's how we, we go to market. So we're just behind the scenes supporting them. 
I like to use this analogy. It's almost like we're AWS powering their payments experience with their customers, right? You wouldn't really know we're over there. Just like you don't know who's in AWS when you're hitting a website or buying something online. It's the same experience here. And this is exactly what I think is going to be the trend now for many of these clients as they go into the next three to five years of their planning cycle. I'm sure there's still a lot of education involved, right? It is not obvious to every software platform, or is it now? Do you see more inbound coming in because there's more and more of an understanding of the opportunity here? Yes, there's more inbound when they read content because people mm. want to understand what this is about. But they still, since everyone's got a little, if you think about this, just even in this discussion we're having, there's different definitions of payment orchestration. There's different definitions of embedded payments. People confuse that category. So people do get confused. Um, so we kind of say, this is how we see the world, just like I explained to you guys. And if they tend to agree, then it's a good fit. If they don't, then they do something, they do something different, right? Um, we're not saying we're hundred percent right, but we feel pretty good over the last 10 years. We've called the ball pretty right on what merchants and platforms need as they're trying to march out products and services to make their end customer experience seamless. And for, so for a big time software, for example, right? Or anyone you guys have as, as clients or as partners, is there for a software platform like big time, a lot of investment needed in order to embed payments? Um, or is it something that you take on, uh, for the most um, part? Well, yeah, there's, it's a commitment. Um, I would say that it's, it's probably about a, depending how, how, what's going on, there's probably a three to four month commitment to get mm -hmm. the coding correct so that you can bed the payment so you can re you can resell it and then you've got to spend another two or three months after that to really figure out how to sell it and go to market well um so i would say you know it, it's it's a six-month commitment I, i'd love to say no i know it's a couple of months code and go but to really do it correctly and spend the right time on it you know i think it's a four to six month commitment is that often um miss Interpreted in, in terms of do these companies think I had this is a quick win? Yeah, they do. I think some people come in and think it's a couple of weeks, and some people come in and think it's a couple of years. Okay, I've heard I've heard both of those, and and I you know I don't think it's a couple of years for sure, and I don't think it's a couple of weeks. Um, it really depends on how focused the company is on getting the project done, and you know from our point of view, it could be two weeks we're just guiding you through the process, right? So it's kind of sort of like your self course, like you can go through as fast as you want. Um, but to really get everybody on board, it, it just usually does take four to six months. So now looking ahead, what's the for specifically for Blue Snap? What's next for you guys? Well, we're gonna continue um, growing, right? So, so that's our key thing and how are we growing? We're growing because we're selling direct to merchants mm -hmm. and we're growing because platforms are reselling our payments technology to their merchants. So that's a good thing. Um, and then what we keep doing is we keep enhancing the product, right? We roll out new countries, we roll out new features. Um, and that's, that's what we, that's what we've been doing for the last 10 years. And I don't see that changing. You just talk about the payments dip, uh, or the, the, the maybe the down of the cycle that we're going through at the moment in payments. Do you see that changing um, towards the end of this year? Do you feel that that is um, getting better? Yeah. So, I mean, 
we're, this has been the last, I think, since the fall of last year. So we've probably been almost a year into this downward cycle, right? It's been sort of a, a tough go for a lot of payment companies who haven't got funded. They haven't made it through. You've seen all this. You've seen market values get eroded. You've seen investments in payment companies down about 50%. So um, are we at the bottom of it? I, I think we've hit the bottom and we're coming out of it. It feels like that we're going to start to you know, we, we're probably two thirds of the way through this. Um, I have a company event that I'm doing next week and they're gonna ask me how far through are we. I feel like we're, we're two thirds through it. So I still think we got another probably six months of this stuff, but I, I, I think things are starting to see signs of turning around here um, in the fall. And I think people are gonna feel much more comfortable spending money and getting back into business, you know, as uh, probably early next year. Will it be like the roaring, you know, 18s and 19s i don't think so but i think it's still there's so much opportunity innovation in fintech that it's not going to be down long like you said a cyclical right so we might get back to this 18 19s or this post-covid boom again in a few years uh, but yeah so. recovery first i think i think I, I really think so i think so i mean i think um it just feels like the things are starting to pick up a little bit more activities going on um, so we'll get a good feel for that when we go to money 2020 in the U.S. and see how, how vibrant that is. Definitely, yeah. And it's normally a good finger on the pulse. I agree. Yeah. Great, Rob. One last more personal question maybe for me. Back to kind of your role today or, yeah, your kind of career and famous in general. What is kind of the, can you tell a bit more about the highs and lows of your role? What gets you out of bed? What keeps you up at night? Uh, what do you enjoy the most? When are you like, okay, let this be over soon? <laughs> Well, you know, I really enjoy getting up in the morning and thinking about, I don't know, how we're going to tackle the day. What are we going to do to grow the company? What challenges do we have? I kind of enjoy the challenges in some ways. So um, I think that's just fun. And also the people we work with here, um, a lot of people we work with for a long time and they're um, amazing people to work with. Uh, challenges, you know, it's hard. It was hard walking each other at night. I hate to say this, but stuff you can't control, mm. you know, what's going to go on in the market, what somebody going to do with interest rates, you know, what bank is going to get in or out of the business. Um, you just, you know, is Silicon Valley going to evaporate on you? I mean, those, you know, things like that happen and you just got to sort of deal with it. So you're just sort of wondering when the next crisis of some kind is kind of come along and there's really nothing you can do about it but you still need to be ready to change and adapt to those sort of things. So I think those kind of keep it interesting and keep it, keep it, keep it going. And I think we've gotten a pretty good job of dealing with a lot of the changes, which is really how we started this interview. Right. Yeah. As you said, adaptability is a key theme here definitely of this interview, whether it is in your career in the company, but I think also payment orchestration to an extent is about adaptability, right? In different countries, versus somewhere else, value added services. And so it's exciting. Yeah, exactly. This is this is giving the ultimate flexibility to the platform or the merchant, which I think is where we've been leading to over the last 10 years. And it's just never been said as clearly as it is right now. So I think it's a great way to explain it. Great, Ralph. Thanks very much. Thanks for being on the show uh, to share your insights and to learn a bit more as well about your uh, personal life. Um, and um, yeah, see you at Money 2020, hopefully. All right, Roger. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of In Check with Fintech. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and leave us a comment below. We'll be having more industry leaders soon, so don't forget to subscribe as well in order to keep updated with the latest episodes of our podcast.